I want every sitting orchestral member, like especially the non-principals, I want them to go up for the audition against uh, these graduating graduate students and see who keeps their job. Let's see who keeps their job. And if it's really a meritocracy, we'll see what happens. But nobody's going to do that because they know it's rigged. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going. I'm going off. I'm going off. I'm sorry. But it doesn't. It, that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It doesn't mean it's a bad path. I think we just you just have to learn marketing. You have to learn economics. You have to learn business. Because if you are setting up an apple shop next to an apple orchard, that makes no sense. Like people can go get apples for free. Plus, you're selling the same thing. There's no unique value proposition to what you're bringing to the table. If you're a violinist, that's the least interesting part about you. That's it. That's it. There are too many violinists that want to play and get people's money. So how are you different? That is Drew Ford, and this is Musical Therapy. We're your hosts, John. And Grace. And we're here to discuss what it means to be a musician in a world that is changing fast AF. Fast AF indeed, so fast. We're having trouble keeping up, aren't we, John? It is true. We don't have all the answers, but we're ready to start having the conversations that everyone else has been avoiding for years. Especially Grace. She's the queen of difficult conversations. Oh, yeah. I love a good, difficult, uncomfortable conversation. Doesn't hold back. So this is our first, speaking of conversations, this is our first conversation with a guest, and it is a great one. I think you all are really going to enjoy it. Uh, We were lucky to be joined by Drew Ford at That Viola Kid across social media. And if you don't know who Drew is already, we'll, we'll go through some highlights here, but I'm willing to bet, Grace, what do you think? 90% of people listening to this probably are familiar with Drew or follow him on Instagram already. I'm willing to bet 98%. 98%. Like, if you don't know who he is, you're definitely living under a rock. I'm sorry. <laughs> for sure. I'm not even a social media guru, and, and I've followed Drew for a long time. So... He is a, a wonderful violist. He's one of the biggest social media figures in the classical music world. Uh, grew his Instagram following to, I think it's around 120,000 followers. And that really started with documenting his journey and audition process to Juilliard five, six years ago. And making himself vulnerable through showing that process to everybody, you know, putting his goal out there, showing what it was like going through that process and taking that risk to let the world in on what that looks like. Uh, But he's been tremendously successful in the social media world and beyond through those beginnings. He's the co-host of an awesome podcast called Faking Notes, along with Trevor Bumgardner. And Grace, you should go listen to it. Yeah, that's one of our favorite podcasts. It definitely inspires us. They interview all sorts of fascinating people in the music world or related to it in some way. Uh, really, really good stuff. So we'll get into that in this interview as well. Now, Drew isn't just on Instagram. He's been a featured speaker and presenter at music schools and conferences all across the world. And beyond the classical sphere, he's also in demand in the pop music world too. Uh, Pre-pandemic, performing live with Alicia Keys, Ariana Grande. And I think you all will enjoy a bit at the end of this conversation where he talks about getting to record for John Legend's most recent album, which was recorded 
in the pandemic remotely with his string parts being tracked from his bedroom. And Ugh, we, it's such a good album. It, it's a, the a string parts amazing album. and arrangements by Matt Jones are killer. If you haven't gone to listen to it, that's your listening assignment, y'all. Yeah, go check it out. And I think what's even more amazing than the, the album in some ways is just how he talks about that process of creating it and how he positioned himself to be the person when in the world of a pandemic, we had to record this remotely and how he had developed the skills, you know, the years leading up to that opportunity so that he could seize the moment and and be able to capitalize on that. So before we get into the interview, we wanted to do a little exercise related to that opening clip. Grace, you want to tell us what it's all about? Yeah. He's right. The instrument part of you is actually the least interesting part of any musician and that's sort of gut-wrenching to hear because we tie so much of our identity into the instrument that we play so as an exercise john and i decided that we are going to tell you what we think the most interesting part of us is and originally john was like grace that's like super uncomfortable why would you make like no one wants to hear us gloat about what we think is the most interesting thing yeah i was like wouldn't this work a lot better if you know i introduced the most interesting thing about you and you introduced the most interesting thing about me and then we're not bragging on ourselves oh no that defeats the purpose (laughs) the whole point is to get real uncomfortable with yourself and really dig deep and discover what's actually interesting about me why should someone invest in me as an artist why should someone invest in me as a brand? Why should someone buy my album? It ain't because of my violin skills. Yeah, I think this ties in so well with some of the themes we're going to be talking about with Drew, with building a brand, growing a following, building a community. You know, the the market is oversaturated with people that can play violin or viola or cello or piano really well. There's, there's not that much new and valuable about just increasing those skills at your instrument. So success as these traditional career models sort of crumble in a post-pandemic world is really going to be a lot more reliant on what you bring into the mix besides just your competency on your instrument. For sure. So John, take it away. What's the most interesting thing about you? Oh, you're going to make me go first? Of course. (laughs) That's all right. Uh, Okay, so I thought about this for a long time, and I think that the most interesting thing about me is in the last couple of years, I have, after leaving music, figured out how to get paid to learn and improve myself every day. Humble brag, John is getting paid to evolve as a human (laughs) (laughs) so in brief here's here's what i mean by that when i when i left music i didn't really have any other marketable skills so i ended up taking a very not so glamorous entry-level position and i've worked my way up from there but the way i've done it is instead of looking at my day-to-day my nine-to-five just like a job where you go trade your time for money i've adopted this mindset where I go to work every day seeking to learn something, seeking to improve myself, seeking to develop some sort of new skill. And when you do that, not only are you 
improving your, you know, your work, you're bringing value to your business and you're making your, your bosses happy and things like that. But you are developing new skills that are going to help you move forward to whether it's in that career path, other things you've got going on on the side. So I think that that is the most interesting thing about me. That's it? Yeah, that's it. no i think that is interesting because it's led me to achieve a lot in the past two and a half years since i left music and if i can make as much progress as i feel like i have in the last two and a half years it makes me really excited to think what's five years down the road what's 10 years down the road and it's a big contrast from what life felt like before this change as a musician where from year to year you know, maybe you're getting a little better at your instrument or you're learning to, to teach a little bit more effectively. But I feel like I am changing and learning and evolving faster than ever. And historically, we think of that as like something that happens earlier in your life and then you're fixed. But finding that way to evolve myself and do it, doing it without going back to school, without going way into debt with student loans or another degree or years off, but doing that well, I get paid and get paid a lot better than I did as a musician. Uh, that I think is what I like the most about what I've got going on in my life right now. Definitely. I only laughed because there was a small tinge of hesitancy at the very end. <laughs> You're like, I, I think, I think that's it. <laughs> I think I, I think I did it. Did I brag enough about myself? Something that John and I have been talking about a lot in the last few months and talk about an uncomfortable conversation is white male mediocrity. And it's definitely an uncomfortable topic for John and being a white dude. <laughs> it's really close as your your resident mediocre white dude. Yeah. In the house. And, um, uh, I mean, sorry, listener, if you're feeling uncomfortable, I suggest that you unpack why you might be feeling a little bit of discomfort there about this particular end of this conversation no it's true it took me a while to get to get used to this idea and really wrap my head around it but you know I go through the world and if I do a c minus job I get pats on the back and if I do a b plus job people tell me I'm really something special and it's it's a little bit ridiculous and one of the things I have come to slowly over time appreciate very about, slowly mind you about our relationship is that Grace isn't afraid to uh, evaluate who I am and what I do through a very objective lens. Uh, it doesn't mean you don't say nice things to me if I do something really good, but uh, if, if I'm, you know, he really better be average. delivering something stellar, y'all. <laughs> I'm paying a compliment. Yeah, you don't blow smoke up my ass. Just He's just phoning it in. My ego. That's just not it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're up, Grace. It's your turn. Put yourself on the spot here. What is the most interesting thing about you? That's easy. I'm never doing what people expect me to be doing, or I'm never doing what people have sort of finally grasped that I was doing. They're like, oh, you're doing this. I'm like, no, I ain't doing that anymore. You're a chameleon. For sure. Um, I think back to something a friend of mine told me, and I think this friend was having a conversation with someone else that I knew. And that person basically was like, yeah, that grace, she sure marches to the beat of her own drum. Almost as, as if it were supposed to be an attack. <laughs> 
and friend <laughs> like that's a bad thing and of course friend is a real one it was just like hell yeah she totally does <laughs> <laughs> and i was like that's that's it that's the right answer you know it ties into the theme of what we're going to talk about with drew in this interview as well but you are someone who is never afraid to try something new uh, it drives me a little bit nuts sometimes. I come out from my my the room where I work my nine to five from home in, and one hour you are practicing violin, and then the next hour you're creating video content for something, and the hour after that you are practicing bass guitar because that's what you decided you're going to learn this week. You went and rented a bass and are taking an online course in playing bass. And Grace also started a cookie business in quarantine at some point. So you're someone who is always trying new things, always developing new skills, even when you might not have an immediate application for it. Right. John's getting paid to do that. I do that because I love myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it leads to you getting paid later on. (laughs) It leads to opportunities down the road. And, you know, that's what we're going to be speaking about with Drew here. I think when he talks about recording with John Legend coming up, how how he was selected to do that sort of because of these specific skills he developed years before, and he wasn't afraid to suck at those things at first and try something new. Uh, It's along the same line. So, Grace, you better be recording with John Legend like next two years, okay? I feel like I I missed my shot, but... Well, that, maybe that's for, for this another one, episode. That's a different story. <laughs> no, you're, you're, get, you're getting the gig next time. All right. Well, without further ado, here is our conversation with Drew Ford at That Viola Kid. Yeah. Go give him a follow on all those socials. Follow his podcast, Faking Notes, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever streaming platform you use. And if you like us, follow us too, please. Follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, whatever streaming platform you're using. And if you love a beautifully curated Instagram grid full of infographics and quotes from inspiring people, follow us on Instagram at Musical Therapy Pod. That's Grace's oh yeah, absolutely. Mind. John, don't know shit What's about that stuff. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think I know what a grid is, but yeah, that's uh, definitely Grace on the social media and promotional side of this. But here we go. Here's our talk with Drew, and I think you'll really enjoy it. So like when I when I got off the boat, I like I had like a hundred twenty thousand followers, and I was like, you know, I think it's time to like do a show. You know, I made a song. Let's let's do a show at Rockwood Music Hall, and uh, I had like maybe thirty people buy tickets, right? And when you have one hundred twenty thousand followers, and other people like businesses expect you to really have this like rabid following that'll do anything you say. That's not true. That's not the reality. And oftentimes like how you build it is important. And if you build your following based off of only providing like free value and you never really have a product to provide that audience, they're not going to be used to, uh, compensating you for the value you give. Um, so that's like different. A hundred percent, something that I've been thinking about a lot with social media and something I've been very frustrated with. I go through periods of burnout with socials. I'm sure that you do as well. I feel like oftentimes people sort of demand my time and energy for free and almost feel entitled to it. And one of the big things for me in 2020 was acknowledging, hey, my time is my time. I can use it as I see fit. That often kind of rubs people the wrong way. But then again, I feel like social media figures are kind of polarizing people. They just generally they're 
pretty large personalities. And so you're either going to attract a lot of energy or people are going to be like, uh-uh, that's not for me. It's, it's, that's a really interesting perspective, Grace. Uh, and I think you nailed it on the head when people, when they're, they feel entitled to um, having you help them. Like I, I often have like, it's daily. I have people going into my emails, uh, asking me to do things for them without quoting a price. I just had a high school kid who on three separate occasions asked me to, uh, send him some stems for, and write like not only stems, but like write and compose for like a project that he's working on. And I quoted him his price. He's like, I don't have the kind of money. And I was like, I appreciate that, man, but I, I have paying clients that uh, I do want to take care of. And I, my reputation as a musician isn't just about having followers. It's about being the best musician I can be and providing the best products for my clients that I possibly can. And there are only so many hours in the day. I'm an adult now. I have to exercise and cook and eat right and pay attention to my friends and you know keep people in my life happy. There's there's only so much you can do. For sure. Do you feel like there was ever a point in your life that you just didn't know how to say no? Oh, you mean like right now? <laughs> <laughs> I built everything based on, off of the thesis of saying yes to everything, no matter how painful or inconvenient it was, because my main goal was building a good reputation. I, I think that one thing we really don't talk about in the music industry is like your reputation is everything. If you were known as the person that shows up early always plays the music correctly, is always prepared, is a great person to hang out with, and then you hustle and build your own side hustle, that is something that people will never forget, number one. And number two, they're going to remember that if I need a job done, I'm not going to have to fret and worry about whether or not this person is going to get it done. And that's going to make me look good as a contractor. So I think that like understanding that perspective early on about the contractors and making their life easy was going to be the way for me to find a somewhat stable freelance career before COVID, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know. I agree with you hundred yeah. percent. You never know who's watching or paying attention. And so I think that's something that a lot of people take for granted in our first episode, we talked about sort of the core values that John and I live by with music. And the second one is cash flow over ego. Mm. Think about the number of times you probably have taken a gig where you felt, man, I am not being paid enough to care. And as long as Chase Bank is telling me I need the money to pay the bills, you know, I got to care. Yeah. You know what flipped the switch for me on that, though? It's during quarantine. Because I used to – every wedding I've ever played since about when I was 17 made me makes me feel that way. Because I'm like, man, how, how many of these people are, are still together? <laughs> <laughs> you know, how many, how many of these were successful, number one? But I, I think – what I learned about investing is that no matter what, I'm not selling my soul if I save a little bit of it and make that money work for me. 
And before this pandemic and before I really learned about money and learned about budgeting and learned a little bit about investing, I I was intimidated by money. And so if I got $200, I knew I had $200 to spend. And that was a very, that is something that so many freelancers retain forever is that mentality of like, whatever is in my bank account, I got it. That's what I can spend. That's that's it. But that's not how you eventually get on the path to financial freedom. And that's more of where I'm at. So now, like, even though so many of these gigs are like, I feel underutilized and I feel kind of insulted by the way that people run things. They, they run you like you're a kindergartner. I'm like, bro, I have a master's degree. I've been playing for 18 years. You don't need to conduct me on how to play consistent eighth notes. I can do this. Okay. Let me do it. <laughs> I realized that in the face of that injustice, I'm able to swallow it now because I know, oh, this is going to go in the Roth. This one's going to the Roth. It's okay. It's okay. This is building my <laughs> future. So that's helped. There's so much knowledge getting dropped in the first six minutes of this <laughs> podcast. It's uh, talk about value and return on investment, right? Like mm. if, um, if the, these are the things that, I think be, being in school, maybe you don't learn and you got to figure out on your own. So let's, let's take it back for a second, Drew, because you were talking about this, what you felt at all these gigs since you're 17. And one thing that has stood out to me when I you know listen to your content, hear you speak about your life and your progression is that sort of seemed like from a relatively young age or young point in your progression as a as a professional as a you know serious music student going down that path you seem to have realized that you you had some you had some thinking to do and you had to figure out how to make a life of this on your own uh was there ever a point where you were really thinking of pursuing that traditional path or have have the wheels been turning since of a very young age of how you're going to make this look uh a way for you that maybe is going to be different from everybody else I started when I was 12, so I was already behind. I didn't get a teacher until I was 15, so I was already behind. And then many of the adults in my life kind of would look at me and be like, mm, I'm not so sure, because their their conception of success was winning Primrose, being a world-traveling soloist like Tobias Zimmerman, uh, getting to be the the principal of Berlin Phil. Those are the only only objects of success, right? It's like a pretty pretty broad uh, scope of success, if if you ask me. So, uh, first of all, I knew that I was not. First of all, I didn't want that because that seems so limiting. It's like, do I really have to play Bartok again? Do I really do I really have to play Don Juan again? <laughs> <laughs> That's so much perspective as a young person, though, because I, I think that thought doesn't cross people's mind until they're a decade or two older than that in a lot of cases, because we, we grow up sometimes in this career field thinking that that is the goal, and that's the only goal, and that's what you're supposed to go for. So I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm so amazed by the, the where your head was at, maybe a little younger age than, than some other people. You know what? It changed it for me, man. The internet. The internet changed it for me. (laughs) Looking and seeing, there's there a limit. You can get limitless inspiration from the internet, and 
I first started out when I was like in eighth grade, started watching YouTube. There weren't any viola recordings online at all. There was like a Stamets one that was like, okay. And there was like this guy, Chris, Chris Lowry, who just like put all his grad recitals up. And so I was like, this guy's the best violist in the world. (laughs) (laughs) So what was really cool though, was like, I then in the YouTube ecosystem, I discovered Lindsey Sterling and I discovered Taylor Davis and, and two cellos and all these other musicians who had freedom. And for me, success meant freedom, freedom to play whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted and not have to worry about where the money was going to come from. And uh, although my orchestral mentor, my teachers who were orchestral members and meant they were mentors of mine, although they had nice houses, nice cars, they had that pension. I just couldn't see myself doing that. By the time I was graduating Juilliard, I was like, I can't do this every day for the rest of my life. So I need to figure out how do how, can I be can I not be a soloist, but can I be like a musician that people want to go see? Maybe not as like a, to go. I want to hear is I want to hear is Walton, but like maybe like yo, he does this cool rendition of like Dust in the Wind. Let's go check that out. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, I, I felt like that could be a more. Uh, a more free way to pursue a career, but there was nobody that I could really look to other than D sharp, uh, as an example, you know? Yes. Um, D sharp, a big one for me is Shanti Floyd, the mad violinist. Yes. He's like, he got me started on the crossover thing back in 2011. I looked up, that was like in the day and age of Lindsey Sterling, I think was starting to produce content. Uh, what's his face? He played like a lot of covers. Um, uh, Eric Stanley. Eric Stanley was another big one. It's a Korean guy. I want to say oh, like June. oh June. Yeah, yeah. I, I've hung out. Yeah. Yes, I've hung out with him. He's dope. June. He's um. like doing a bunch of K-pop mm-hmm. stuff now. Oh, he's um, famous, dude. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. Yeah. But Ashanti was the guy who really got me started, and I, I, we're gonna interview him on a later episode. We're super excited. For real? John. Yeah, John is John is like fangirling. Yeah. I think he's got a book coming out. I'm fangirling so hard over over Ashanti. John's favorite violinist is Ashanti Floyd, for the record. <laughs> you got a cut? Are you on Clubhouse? I'm on Clubhouse. John is not on Clubhouse yet. Yeah, yeah. just just recently, Grace is. <laughs> she she won't give anyone of her invites. I'm not. Uh, I'll, I'll, hey, hit me after this. I have six. Let me get you an invite, bro. I'll get you in. Come on, let's get you in, John. Let's get let's you in. It. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, so I've I actually for, finally got to connect with Ashanti Floyd through yeah. uh, Clubhouse, uh, through Chelsea Green and and uh, Kev Marcus of Black Violin, and so we're all the contemporary string players uh, are starting to come together. Another person, Lee England Jr. and Peter Lee Johnson, were other people that I really looked up to as well. Peter, I forgot about him. He just uh, platinum producer yes. now. Did the Ariana Grande album that just came out, Platinum Producer, just killer. I ran into him at a random show at the Blue Whale, and I just fangirled super hard. I was like, God, bro, God, you're here. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, I feel that. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. It's amazing. But it's still, it's a limited club. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's still like, that's not. You guys, I feel like just names everybody that's that's really notable in that scene and has been for a little while. But 
Um, you know, the fact that you were trying to find that, but there wasn't a lot out there. I mean, and you're one of the first ones. So, you know, one, one thing I've always wondered is a big part of your following, you know, built this path going to Juilliard. I feel like that's a big part of your, your identity uh, is going to that school, which is, you think of that reputation as one of the most traditional, obviously it's got, it's got the, the cred, right? That's the only institution that people outside of music know anything about or that it's there. But we think of that as such a traditional place and probably even five, six years ago, whenever you were in school there, maybe even more so. When you enrolled in that, you know, you, you're talking about you're already having this vision for a career that looks a little bit different. And here you are enrolling in a, a really traditional major conservatory. What did you want to get out of that degree? what you said i wanted the i wanted to so i had a dream because when i was uh in high school and i was playing classical music i was playing shostakovich and tchaikovsky and dvorak and sibelius all the big ones you know all the big symphonies i was also at the same time listening to kanye west's 808s and heartbreak uh college dropout late registration graduation the, the year graduation came out was when I graduated high school. So I, I felt so like, oh, connected to the fact that this human not only wrote all the lyrics, but he produced the whole thing. He created the story arc. He, he was able to lyrically express himself in a way that was honest, vulnerable, and inventive and fun. And also in a way swaggy and braggadocious like he really embodied every pillar of hip-hop at the same time for me um and so i i wanted to be like that i didn't know how to do it but i was like man i want to collab with kanye one day i want to be in the studio with him i want to be in the studio studio with other musicians that i look up to like mac miller um i want to be in in i want to play for alicia keys i want to do all these different things and I just knew that if I was ever going to – if if they didn't know who I was and I was never going to expect them to know who I was, if they were ever going to like at least take this random black dude named Drew Ford and maybe give him a chance, I needed to have a name that would make me undeniable. And I really felt that Juilliard would make me – at least it would help me get a foot in the door and show that at least this dude can like – hold the thing because <laughs> yeah, the range of string players is really it's very vast and um and i'll just say just even more a little bit more honestly like being an african-american um and trying to be in the limelight i needed to show that we i needed to put the best foot forward because oftentimes in the media we're portrayed as less than we're portrayed as uh coming up with 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 less resources and then somehow coming together. But I wanted to also exhibit excellence at the highest level. Um, so sure. I, I was like, let me try. Let me try. You know, definitely. So let's take that question maybe one step further. Cool. So you just went over what you sort of hoped to get out of your degree, right? We talked to a lot of folks who once they've graduated, they sort of have some regret about school where they start voicing, <clears throat> Ugh, I didn't learn all this stuff. I, no one told me how to do my taxes. No one 
told me how to form like an S corp or an LLC or whatever. What's that? No one told me how to get 120,000 Instagram. Yeah, they didn't tell me that either. Yeah. And it's almost like there's a level of entitlement to what we're supposed to be getting out of their education. So I want to, I'm actually curious, what do you feel like you were sort of, if you could like rewind in the past when you were, when you'd sort of committed and like, all right, I'm going to Juilliard. What did you feel like you were maybe entitled to out of that education? Nothing. I, 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 that was the one thing that uh, being black and growing up black, like beat out of me. It's like, I'm entitled to nothing. I got to get it. So, yeah, so that, that was never a problem for me. What I, and I also had really good friends. One of my friends uh, that I met summer of 2011, his name is Dave Rochella. He was one of my cabin mates and, uh, we would spend a lot of nights. Uh, I was still at Mercer. I was an upcoming sophomore at Mercer university at the Robert McDuffie center for strings. So I had never been around Juilliard kids. I'd never been around top conservatory kids. I didn't know what that was like, but he was chill. And we would go, (laughs) I can't believe I'm saying this. We would go in his car. They would smoke weed and listen to dubstep. And I'd be in the back seat chilling with them on the way to Wendy's because the food was garbage at Brevard. So we'd go to Wendy's and talk about, yes, (laughs) yes. So we were hungry, right? We would go to the dollar menu and just go to town, right? And that was our ritual. And in our many hangs that we, that was one of my favorite summers of, my entire life. And it was transformative because he said, I, I, I looked at, I was like, bro, do you think I could get, get into Juilliard? And without hesitating, he said, yeah, of course, of course, man. And I, I'm not one to like ask permission, but that, that, that cosign really planted the seed. And then by the time I had, you know, three more years had gone by, I was in, I was, uh, I'd gotten through pre-screening and I was up in New York, um, getting ready for my audition, March, 2014. We go out for pizza. I hang out with Dave. He's, uh, going to be a master's student. So we're the same age. He just went to Juilliard for undergrad. He's going to be, he's auditioning for the grad school. And I asked him some advice, like, man, what advice would you give, get me, man, if I end up going here? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, don't arrive at Juilliard. Don't get here and think that it's done. Think that you're done and think that everything's going to be okay. Work to earn it every day because there's so many people that get here and then they, they're done, you know? Ugh. Dang, ain't that some truth? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I took that forward. And even after leaving Juilliard, I was like, yeah, I went to Juilliard, but let's get it. Whatever. That's just that's just so I got in the door, but I still got to earn this. For you sure. Know? For sure. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like students should ever feel entitled to anything out of their education? I mean, what are people even going to school for anymore? Can I say this? Yeah, go for it. I, I, feel, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm on my podcast and I finally get to talk. Hold on. <laughs> Trevor. Shh. Okay. Uh, I love you, Trevor. Um, we in the classical music culture tend to have a blue collar mindset an employee mindset when the whole time music as a career has always been entrepreneurial. 
The fact that there are systems to allow us to be employees is a new construct. Because when you go back to Haydn, Esterhazy's, he got lucky. He got a donor that gave him a house on their estate. That was not the norm. Most classical musicians were not full-time musicians. Being a full-time musician was not economically viable. There was not an infrastructure for it. But we're lucky to be in the United States in the 21st century with the advent of the Internet that allows us to connect with everybody on the planet Earth who is willing to be on these platforms. Because of that, that is a highway that never existed before that will allow people to come to our specific shop and give us money should they find our services and our art valuable. This has never happened before, but we're not talking about it in schools, and we are adopting an employee mindset for a career path that doesn't that isn't hiring. So that makes no sense to me because if you're going to audition for a spot that opens up, and then 300 people audition for it, and they hire no one, or if they 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 get rid of the National Endowment of the Arts, this is not Europe, okay? We got to stop acting like it's Europe. This is a capitalist society and you need to start your own business. And so if you want to be a musician, you have to have an entrepreneurial mindset. That's just my thesis. That That's so, it's almost frustratingly logical. It makes so much sense. Yeah. And I still feel like this is something that no one knows or no one's willing to say. Or, or institutions aren't willing Because <laughs> it's hard. Well, I want to know what professor of yours ever had to hustle for work in the way that you and I have had to, like in recent times. Just real talk. Like, when's the last time any of these folks have done this? Their, their heyday was the 70s and the 80s. Is a different time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it's just mind blowing to me because they're just like, oh, it's just really this easy. And I'm like, well, when's the last time you went to Trader Joe's and hustled for a gig? You're telling me that's good advice? I want to know how successful you were at doing that. Like, if we, let's do it all together right now and find out who comes out with the better paying gig. When's the last time you bust? <laughs> I want every sitting orchestral member. Like, especially the non-principals, I want them to go up for the audition against uh, these graduating graduate students and see who keeps their job. Let's see who keeps their job. And if it's really a meritocracy, we'll see what happens. But nobody's going to do that because they know it's rigged. I'm sorry. I'm I'm going. I'm going off. I'm going off. I'm sorry. (laughs) But it doesn't. It that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It doesn't mean it's a bad path. I think we just you just have to learn marketing. You have to learn economics. You have to learn business. Because if you are setting up an apple shop next to an apple orchard, that makes no sense. Like People can go get apples for free. Plus, you're selling the same thing. There's no unique value proposition to what you're bringing to the table. If you're a violinist, that's the least interesting part about you. That's it. That's it. There are too many violinists that want to play and get people's money. So how are you different? And it's not going to be from being, you know, 1% better at, at playing your instrument. I think that's the, that's the least significant part, but that's all that we learn when we go to school is, is, is that. It's the same thing in business too. If you look at brands that try to win more market share, they always say, I'm the best brand. But that's not really – that's not what does it. 
being better doesn't do it. What's more affordable? You know, number one, what gets the job done in the most convenient way? Not whether the the quality of the job is better. That's not why people buy you, you know? For sure. So let, let's get a little more specific on, on this path that we're on. Because cool. I feel like for for how little institutions talk about how to be, you know, how to be entrepreneurial, how to be self-employed, there's, there's maybe a little bit of acknowledgement that that's something you'll have to do. But I think that what what's lacking is that in our consciousness as, as a musical community, we're starting to realize maybe there aren't a lot of traditional jobs out there. Maybe I'm going to have to do something else. But when we actually take it from, okay, I know I need to be an entrepreneur to how do I actually put money in my bank account? Uh, how, how do you start to do that? I mean, whether that's, you know, you're building a brand, you've got followers, uh, people care about you, but how do you turn that interest, that, that spark that, Hey, I'm interested not just in this music, but I'm interested in Drew. I'm interested in that Viola kid. Um, how, how do we start to turn that? What's, what's an actionable tip to, to begin to turn that into a source of income? One thing that I want to say is you don't need to build a following to make money. Yeah. That, that's like a big misconception. No, it's a big misconception. You just need people who want to pay you money. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> like, you don't need, like the, the numbers are not as important. And what is really important is demonstrating value. Can you solve a pain point for a person in their life? Can you solve it in a way where they'll never have to worry about that problem again if they work with you, right? Um, and then demonstrating that ability for free. I think that one thing we don't talk about is, I mean, personally, if I had a – man, I played so many free gigs. I played so many gigs for pizza. I played so many gigs for tips it's it's it'll make your head spin and sometimes those ended up being the most beneficial gigs for me because they knew that first of all they were really appreciative because i i showed up and i crushed it and i did my very best i gave them everything i had like my life depended on it and then they remembered that and then sometimes they would even remember it when somebody else asked them hey is there a v do you know any violists who like can just show up, read some music, and just get it done for like fifty bucks. And then I was my beginning gig started getting, you know, I started getting it that way. But that took time, and that had nothing to do with my following. I think now the best thing about my social media now is that if somebody throws my name, I have thousands of receipts. Yes, I mean you have basically built a catalog. On Instagram, of and it playing. works for itself. Yeah. It works for it works for me now. My Instagram works for me, which is great. And I didn't expect it to do that. Uh, I just wanted to share my journey, you know. And I think that that was the core of it. But like now, translating into money, I don't. I'm not. I'm an artist. I'm not good at business. Like I think my strengths are storytelling, passion, and creating the damn 
sound, right? <laughs> the, the whole business, like the email list, the website, the course building, the teaching, the, the studio building, the master classes, the, the answering emails, the ad reading, the, uh, the marketing, that stuff is so hard. And I'm like learning about it, but it's taking a while. And I think if you want to make, uh, if you want to really make money, regardless of of size, audience size, you need to be extraordinary at something, either extraordinarily niche and unique, or you need an extraordinary sound that that makes people want your sound over everybody else. And then you also, at the same time, need an infrastructure in place for people to purchase that from you, independent of your effort, time, and or consciousness. And so I'm I'm learning that I just need to put up more digital products. I love that. That'll be how I make money. So you need somebody you need a way for people to pay you for yeah. for what you offer. If That's you it. You don't have that. Uh, and I don't, man. I <laughs> I still I pay to play. I show it because that's what I was taught. Yeah. Right? So now I have that's a stack of do. books. Can I show you my, my stack of books? Let's see it. Podcast listeners, you won't see it, but my stack of books for 2020. I've read the bottom three, so bottom four so far. I love that you read. Can we like talk about that for a minute? Yeah, yeah. I know you've basically created a book club on Instagram. I had one for a little while. (sighs) Read between the notes that I just ended up not really having enough time to like really facilitate. Ditto. Um, going on in my life um i think i just started that at a really chaotic time but everyone wanted to actually know what i was reading they basically wanted me to provide like the cliff notes of all these great books and just i hear all the time well i just don't have time to read and i'm just like what do you think i'm doing what do you think drew's doing (laughs) 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 yeah and that's that's something i've found as well too outside of outside of the music world, the, the smartest, most successful people with busier schedules than you can imagine and more people who want their time than than 99% of us, they still find time. Oh, to learn. it's non-negotiable. They still find time to learn. It's, it's uh, super consistent amongst people who are, are really doing something unique and doing something interesting. So that list is, is great. What was the last one you finished? Last one I finished was uh, more myself by Alicia Keys. She's one of my, one of my idols. Um, the queen, like one of the, one of the most decorated soul singer, R and B songwriters, classically trained. Yes. And you've played with her, right? And I played with her. I Ugh. also, I love her. I love her. She's, she's everything. So I, I feel very, I feel like a, a, a kinship with her, but can I just, John, can I just piggyback off what you said about reading? I learned very early on that leaders are readers yes. and your education isn't four walls of a school. It's what you put into your brain. And if you want to have things that you don't have, you need to read thing. You need to read things from people that do have what you want. 
and and there's so many gem books are cheat codes i don't know if there are any gamers listening to this but books are cheat codes like these people live their entire lives making all the mistakes and then they write it down in a book so you don't have to make the same mistakes and you can have the shortcut and that's why i like read homie read and like you grace i haven't really gotten around to because i'm not trying to do spark notes for people like that's not my job right i'm trying to synthesize the information in a way that is unique from the author and synthesizes my personal experience but i I will definitely say if you are an entrepreneur or if you're a musician and you want to like be your own boss you have to read then all it takes is 30 minutes a day before you go to sleep just set a timer and read for 30 minutes every day, no matter what, no matter what. Like if you cut what's, what's half a 365, like 180, we'll just do it like yeah. 182. That's 182 hours of reading a year. <laughs> you can't tell me you can't read 30 books. In 182 hours, come on, you could totally do that. It's totally doable. Like, like, I think we just are so impatient and we don't realize that tiny effort over a long time is yes. actually compounding. I love that. People get stuck on the fact that oh, we, we think of 30 minutes a day and then you think of 30 minutes. And you're not going to change that much in 30 minutes. And and I think that plays a plays a trick on us sometimes that it's really hard Mm -mm. to we know we're not going to get that much better in 30 minutes so what can 30 minutes a day do that it's compound interest for your brain what's the point (laughs) right this was the uh hot take that we had last week in our episode was um musicians are literally the worst beginners mostly because they're the least patient which is so ironic considering how much patience it actually takes to learn an instrument. I think it's almost like we spent all those years beforehand that we feel entitled to getting to the end result right away. Can I, can I shed some, something that I'm learning uh, about that? Yes. Cause I listen to a lot of old people. One thing Joe Rogan really talked about is like, I just have learned the best thing I ever learned in my life was to fall in love with learning. And, like, get passionate about learning. And while I was at Juilliard, I kind of felt like I had gotten the hang of viola that wasn't good enough for me. So then I got really uncomfortable and started learning how to shoot photography and shoot videography and edit photos and edit videos and do After Effects. And then I started vlogging and then doing it in shorter amounts of time and then trying to tell vast story arcs. And then I got kind of bored with that. And I'm just now I'm learning guitar and I'm learning cone and i'm remembering how frustrating it is to start to learn something yes. <laughs> and it's painful so how do you how do you flip that switch how do you embrace it or or do you just suck it up and and slog through i did it once just like you guys did it once right and so i realized like okay i'm okay at viola now but i've been doing it for 18 years what if i just started today and imagine what I could be in 18 years on guitar or yeah. 18 years on producing or 18 years on Cajon or 18 years of doing photography. I might be pretty good. You might, I might be above average at the worst, but that would be okay. I don't mind being a cool old man who's above average at a lot of things. <laughs> if I'm so lucky, you know, I, I just think we, we're so 
we, we, we're so afraid of failure. We're so afraid of looking dumb. We're so, because we're adults now and we look at kids and we kind of judge them like, ah, you're stupid. You don't have an experience. <laughs> but they have the most fun. Kids have the most fun. Have you noticed that? They do. And why? Why do they, why do kids have the most fun? They haven't learned the pain of failure. They just, they're just excited to try new stuff. And why do we lose that? Why do we lose that? Do you feel like school could be a culprit of that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What what aspect of school do you feel like could be the leading cause of Uh, Okay, Miss Yoon. Um, I think from my calculations, it's square root of four. Wrong! It's two because you forgot to take the square root of four. Ah, and everybody laughs at you in class. Ha, ah, stupid! You know, oh, what do you mean? You you didn't, you don't have a 4.0? Wait, you got a two on your AP history exam? It's just years and years and years of judgment for trying and coming up short. But that's the whole point. You have to try and come up short over and over and over again because the coming up short part is where you then go to the lab and see where you went wrong, make adjustments, and try it again and get a little bit farther. But we only do that when we have fun because then I realized in myself, man, I used to play League of Legends. And, man, I used to get it the worst feeling is just getting just blown out of the water and having to surrender at 20 minutes. But that the fun of getting better and beating other people, let me get through that pain of failure over and over and over again and like analyze what I did wrong and having a successful concert in, in school. Like I didn't have a memory slip this time, or I did have a memory slip. Why did I have a memory slip? I don't want that ever to happen again. And then you go back to the drawing board. You see what you did wrong. You amend your preparation, and you move forward, and you grow. But when you make an Instagram post that gets 12 views, and everybody's like, what was that, son? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't funny. You know, I <laughs> – you know, it, it's 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 a different it's a different goal, and so I think the moment you start caring about what other people will think about your progress, because nobody's good at the beginning, but the moment you start caring is the moment that you stop trying, and when you stop trying, you stop growing. So yeah, for some for some reason, our brains are predispositioned to think of this in this fixed mindset where you're either talented or you're not. Or you're, mm. or you're not, and it's it's so hard to even if you try to be super conscious of of thinking of all of these skills as a process and something that, like you said, Drew, everyone sucks at first. Everyone sounds bad at first. Uh, everyone. There's something I think where we want to jump to conclusions about who's got it, who doesn't, who can, who can't, and it just keeps us from from being able to let ourselves get uncomfortable to start that new project, to start that new skill, start playing cajon or guitar or whatever you're up to or taking pictures. And, you know, like you said, you don't have to be the best at every one of those things, but when it comes time for Drew to create his product, we're going to find what that is. You have to have a few things in the, in the recipe for that in order to bring something to life. You can't just be good at, Viola. Um, and you don't have to be the top 1% at all these things, but you need at least 
two or three of these competencies of these things you know how to do that you can create something creative and, and original with it. So I think sometimes we get stuck on thinking we have to be perfect or think we, we have to be the best at everything, but really you just need to be above average at a couple things or a handful of things. And that's, what's going to set you apart. And that's, what's going to allow you to create something really special. Yeah. John and I talk a lot about specializing versus being into like a bunch of other things. I, I tend to, yeah. Like I'm a, definitely a generalist to the point where it probably drives John a little bit nuts. <laughs> this week I'm trying this. This week I'm trying this. That means you're valuable in a, in a lot of different areas. Yeah. Means you're a army knife. Because it seems like you've basically become a generalist too by learning all the other skills. Did school teach you any of those skills? No. Well, logic. I took a logic class in Juilliard. Cool. Yeah. That's actually really cool that they even offered that as like an option. It was yeah. an elective and it was at the it was at the bottom of the list. I it was not hard to get in, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> nobody nobody was fighting for that class. No wait list for I think it's interesting. I'm sure you see this a lot, Drew. I get a lot of people in my DMs saying, well, school never taught me any of this stuff that you know how to do. And I was like, well, school didn't teach me any of this shit that I know how to do now either. So <laughs> I don't know what you want from me. Do you want me to blame whatever institution that you attended? Or What they want you to do is make a course so they can buy it and learn from it. I think that's what they're saying. Yeah. And that's what, I, at least that's what I'm starting to think. Oh, good. So tell us about yeah. this course that you are working on. I don't on. want to talk about it. <laughs> it's not, it, it sucks the soul out of my, out of my body. I, it's not, I, I would, I would much rather at least start making my own content again and then creating, you know, at least just having a place where I could like, advertise a course right because like right now like i'm not even making content for me so like when i get inquiries to like promote people's products and services i'm like no like because now i don't want to be your own i don't want to be a commercial center for you like this is my page this is my life this is my story but what i will say um one thing that i really i had to so every Every insecurity that you listening or you, John, or you, Grace, have felt, I feel it all the time. And I'm starting I, – I had to kick myself in the face figuratively because I was wondering at one point. I was complaining to myself. I was like, why am I not – why am I not being called to the studios to, to play with people like Jack Harlow or – why, why does nobody want me to pro, why, why is nobody playing my music on Spotify? Why is nobody playing my music in the movies? First of all, what music, okay? <laughs> Second of all, like what improvisation? I think that we often get so caught up when we see other people succeed and see people doing things that we want to do and we automatically feel dejected um and, and or, or 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 we feel like we're unworthy. But the energy that we need to be placing and the thing that I've realized is like, what if by some happenstance, they come to me directly and they come to my door, they're knocking on my door. It's like, hey, the world is ending unless you can create a chart topping song right now. Come, come with me. We need to do this. Would I be able to do it? 
no. So I, I think that part of it is we need to remember that we're all in training. And, and just because the opportunity could have already presented itself to ourselves, to presented itself to us, but we weren't ready. We weren't prepared. We didn't have the skills. So opportunity is everywhere and people don't think it is. And that that's what really depresses me for people is because they, they see this as a scarcity, a, a reality of scarcity when it's actually a reality of abundance. But oftentimes we need to raise our skill levels and our attitudes to a level where we can even see where it is detect that when it's when it's present when you have that opportunity yeah if you don't have the right scopes on you can't see it yeah yeah 100 so let's let's talk about from from there from seeing what those opportunities look like from having the tools that where you can catch them when when they present themselves to you here we are it's uh 2021 and sometimes it feels like the 13th month of 2020 still we're we're, uh making some sort of progress here and hopefully making our way out of out of this pandemic that's changed things for a lot of musicians but what what opportunities are you either trying to grab onto right now or what are you thinking could be coming your way in the next few months what are you up to well um by doing so so a lot of the opportunities that come to me uh, they are of skills that have already exhibited that i'm capable of and i think that that is one thing we're like not really we don't really talk about it's like if you want to get so so i actually one of the biggest calls that i ever got was like in march where i was asked to play on john legend's album remotely from my bedroom. Wow. Amazing. Y'all sounded killer. That sounds amazing. I was Thank you. For like a whole week. John thought <laughs> he wanted to murder me. Because <laughs> 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 I literally only played the tracks that y'all were on. It was like with uh, Caitlin, mm-hmm. Scott, this is Matt mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Yep. And, and what I mean to say is like Matt Jones would have never thought to even think about me had I not been spending years recording myself, making YouTube videos, making covers with friends, showing like literally showing in my stories, me remote recording. And then through those tiny things sending, I've been sending stems for projects uh, remote recording project since 2014. I've been doing it for over seven years. So it was not something that happened over time. And if I had not started down that path and learned about gain, learned about making sure I faded in and faded out, making sure that I don't have click bleed, I wouldn't have been called to do that. I wouldn't have been, or I would have been called and then I would have made an ass of myself and never called again. Yeah. Right? Because you'd be getting all your beginners sucking out at the moment. And then and at and then the moment he's gone. It started it started all those years ago. It started from those first experiments. That's so incredible to think about it in that way. And then here you are as shit. We're in a pandemic. We gotta record John Legend's album remotely, who's a violist that we can trust to put out something in his bedroom and put me in coach. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in the gym. Let's go. <laughs> That's an amazing story. An amazing way of sort of connecting 
all of this that we're talking about because mm-hmm. you know, hopefully this is the last pandemic we live through, but the world's going to keep changing. This isn't going to look the same two years from now or five years from now. So what are you doing? What, not, not you specifically, but to our listeners, I would challenge you. What are you doing right now to try something new, to get uncomfortable, to take those first steps so that with whatever the hell happens five years from now, you can grab that opportunity when it presents. hundred percent. And you will be shit at it at first and that's okay. It's going to take time and you have to be willing to wait for the good to come out of it. Are you paying attention to the vast economic shifts in the way we consume media? Expand on that. So are you familiar with the streaming wars going on right now? Like with like Netflix? Peacock, HBO Max. Okay, let's count them. Hulu, which is owned by Disney, which has Disney Plus, so let's just call Disney. Okay, they bought the last third of Hulu a few months ago. Uh, We've got Peacock. We've got Netflix. We've got HBO Max. We've got Apple TV. We've got Roku that just bought uh, Quibi's whole entire library, R.I.P. Quibi. Uh, <laughs> wait, this is six, but I know I'm not done. I know I'm forgetting something. I know Amazon Prime Video. Is it like YouTube TV a thing? YouTube TV. Yeah. Oh, uh, Crunchyroll. Uh, and then you get niche. So here's the deal. Uh, the online on-demand streaming is not only burgeoning, it's exploding, and it's further fragmenting into smaller niches. When you have TV shows, what else do you need? You need music. It's not just TV shows. It's not just movies. It's documentaries. It's animated shorts. It's this. It's that. So it's a, it's, it's a renaissance for composers. Video games which is even bigger than movies and TV combined. Video games need soundtracks. They need composers. Uh, Mobile gaming, they need soundtracks. They need players. So how would you, as a person, be able to provide value to a growing ecosystem instead of a dying ecosystem, which is the classical music realm? This is no shade, but like when there's a pandemic and people can't go to a concert hall, how are you going to make money? Yeah. You're not. So what I would suggest people do, pay attention to economics, pay attention to business, pay attention to the shifting flow of money. Wherever the money is, you need to be because you don't need all of it. You don't even need 1% of it. You just need a tiny piece of that money and you'll be good. But if you're just trying to pull water from a well that's dry, you're, you're wasting your effort. And I think the way to do that is to find a way to build your infrastructure of content online where people can consume and sample your product for free and then give them an easy pathway for them to consume for money your product independent of you being there. And if you do that over time, it's it's like buying real estate, but it's on the, it's on the internet. It's digital real estate. You do that, and you'll make money when you sleep. I love that. That's the goal. That's the whole goal. That's the whole goal. That is the whole goal. So I would love to sort of recap the idea of maybe building a brand Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that 
has the financial return versus having a social media following just with like numbers? The 22 Immutable Laws of Branding by uh, Al Reese and Laura Reese. Uh, it's similar to the 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing, which is by uh, Al Reese and Jack Trout. Incredible. It tells you everything you really need about branding and, and marketing. Only a, a couple chapters into this, but it's very similar to the marketing. And what's really important is being narrow in your focus. Um, one thing Seth Godin talks about in his book, Purple Cow, is that uh, if you're making a product for everyone, you're making a product for no one. Uh, let's take a product for everyone. Toilet paper. How passionate are you about toilet paper pre-pandemic? Okay, like how <laughs> pre-pandemic? Let's just are you are you like a collector? Like pre-pandemic, remember? No, nobody is a collector of toilet paper. It's something everybody uses, and nobody's passionate about it, right? What is something people are passionate about? Chocolate. They're connoisseurs of chocolate that'll travel across the planet to go to the farm where the coca is harvested for the chocolate so they can learn about it. You know, you want to make a product that makes people feel that deeply connected to you. That's what branding is. And at the same time, when you do that, you're also going to have people say, like, I don't really like chocolate that much. And it's not personal. Chocolate is just not for me. And that's okay. When you make something that is really focused and the branding allows people to see themselves in you and relate to you, you're also at the same time going to have people that can't stand you and think you're a waste of space. That it, it, It's just the way it is. That's just the way. And I'm just starting to understand this. And you got to be okay with that. But that's the only way to really make a make a career where people feel compelled to part with their hard-earned cash and support you and help you live the life that you want to live. I love that. You know, like, what, we're in 2021 now. Time is a contract. I mm-hmm. lost all track of that. <laughs> 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 We're in 2021 Passage now. Yet. I feel like in 2013... I was on the cutting edge because I already had a website and I feel like maybe by 2016 professors were like, yeah, you got to be on the internet. You have to have like a website. And maybe I think it's maybe 2017, 2018 people are like, yeah, you got to be like on YouTube or like Facebook. And now it's like, you got to be on Instagram. I think the young people are privy to TikTok, So it's just really funny to me that all of this is just super behind And I think in the pandemic times, people are now really obsessed with this idea of building a social media following. They're like, well, I have to be on socials. This is how I'm going to get money. And I need the followers. I don't really believe that to be true. My hunch is that you don't believe that to be true because like you said earlier, it's you don't need a high number of followers to be financially stable. Um, So I guess what are maybe three things that you would suggest to our listeners on how to build a brand versus how to have thousands of likes and followers that don't make you any money? That's a great question, Grace. So first of all, the number one, go where people are, go where people are paying attention. And this is, this is, this is huge because people just, they stop there and go where, where, where the attention isn't oversaturated. 
Now, TikTok is in a rare place that I think that Instagram was when I was building it, where there is there is more uh, hunger and more demand for content than there is supply for new content. And that creates a vacuum where you have people who are building a million followers in two or three months from consistent content posting every single day. Okay. That's number one. Um, number two, when you're building a brand, do your research. If what you're trying to do already exists, yes. you will not be bigger. I'm sorry. The one you, you have to be the first, you have to be the first, maybe you're the first violist on planet earth that makes videos exclusively dressed like a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> Someone better go claim that idea right now. That's someone. That's someone, right? That somebody's going to do that. That's way more interesting than here's my Mendelssohn. I love that you pointed that out because I think everyone's really on the train of I'm going to just show my practicing and this is how I'm going to build my following. I think that maybe worked about five years ago or however long ago it was when Hillary Hahn first introduced the hashtag 100 days practice. And she's the biggest. She's the one that started it. So anybody else who tries to do that is never going to get bigger than hers. That's that's like one of the immutable laws of mark marketing. I think it's like the law of primacy. You need to be first. If you're not first in a category, you're not going to be – so if you can't be first, you need to be first in a category. And I think that's like kind of 2.7 slash 3 of this. If you can't be the first violinist on TikTok, be the first violinist plus something else. And if you can't be the first violinist plus this plus this, then be the first violinist plus plus this, plus this, plus this, plus this, <laughs> that also has a college degree. You know what I mean? So, like, they, you need the X you factor. You need, you need something else, especially in a world that changes as fast as ours does now. The path to finding success isn't copying what someone else did to the T, you know? You can't replicate it. Everyone thinks that there's some sort of formula. So I guess what would be your suggestion for someone who's maybe trying to find whatever their X factor is? Okay. Get as niche as possible. Like get as specific as possible. Think about, first of all, what you wanted, what you want to do, what's fun for you, because if it's not fun, you're not going to do it. I don't care how popular it makes you at some point, you're going to burn out and it's not going to be worth it for you anymore. Trust me, personal experience. So what I think uh, is really important is don't be afraid to niche down super low because like the more specific you are, the more you will resonate with another person. Like there could be, I'm sure there's like a small community of people who just absolutely love chickens and everything about chickens. And they look for tutorials on how to care for their home chickens and they need that. Right. But if that doesn't exist, you could be that for those thousand people on planet earth. Right. But that's a thousand people. That's a great place to start, and they're just like you. They can really identify with you. It's about finding your tribe. This is another Seth Godin book. you got to find your tribe, niche down, and then maybe you can expand beyond that. But uh, what's really important, the caveat to the 
be the violinist plus this, plus this, plus this, plus this. The more pluses you add, the smaller the market share. But that's not always bad because the more that's more that's a more specific audience that you're targeting. And the more specific the audience, the more relatable you will be to them. And the more relatable you are, the more likely they are to support you monetarily. So that's a way to get the thousand rabid fans you you need. You know, you don't need the whole world. Yeah. That's all you need. That's all you need. That's all you need. There has there's been so much wisdom uh, in the last hour with Drew here. I feel like there's more value in so much of this than so many people pay for their graduate degree. Maybe uh, this could be this is your, this is your, it's my course. Uh, <laughs> your course. Uh, just, just sell the podcast. What's your Venmo yeah, so people yeah, can yeah. start Venmoing you some coffee money? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Venmo me some coffee money at Drew Ford with an E at the end, F O R D E. Hit me up. I'm thirsty. There you go. <laughs> now this is this is unbelievable advice, and this is stuff that people should be learning in school, or maybe they shouldn't. I mean, maybe we understand school. Maybe school's just about playing your instrument, and the world's just going to change too fast that school can't keep up, and don't expect it to help you keep up. That's one thing. That's one thing we're trying to figure out. Instead of being resentful towards that institution, maybe just take it for what it is. It's going to teach you to do this one facet of what you do, and you have to own the fact that you're going to take it. You have to own that you're a business. You have to own it. You have to own that you're going to be a boss. And like when you realize you're going to be a boss, it's going to help you want to practice more too because you're like, oh, it's all up to me. If I fail, it's my fault. It's not – the, it's not my teacher's fault. Not the school. It's not your not teacher's fault. It's not. It's not. It's any of these other factors. That's mm-hmm. that's so that taking that ownership, I think, is maybe the most powerful element of all of this. That's maybe the thing that sums all of this up in a nutshell. Is that if you aren't taking ownership of of finding out how to how to get that life that you want, no one else is going to do it for you. No one else has knows how to do that uh in a, in a way that they can t- teach you all these things nobody likes you that much let's go let's go rapid fire here at the very end to uh to wrap things up there's been so much good advice in this podcast uh what is the worst advice you've ever gotten you don't have to name names uh you should practice your mendelssohn excerpt a little bit more it's not that clean that was the worst advice because i did and i still didn't get that job so (laughs) (laughs) never get those hours of your life never never again yeah oh well all right next one who is someone, and now this is coming from one thing we didn't really get into very much today is Drew has a phenomenal podcast. And if you are not listening oh, to the, the Faking Notes podcast, you're, you're missing out. So really good title. Really, really good title. I take, I take ownership over that. I came up with that on the fly. <laughs> I, I felt good. It is so good. The, the, kinds of conversations you guys have it's it's so entertaining and there's so much wisdom and so many interesting guests there so i really have come to enjoy that but maybe this question is loaded because you do so many interviews but one thing we ask all of our guests who's someone in the in the music space or maybe we can even go outside of the music space who's somebody you've never heard an interview with 
that you, if that were available, you would go download that right now and drop everything else you're doing to listen to it. Yeah, because I've on it with my podcast. I like try to get, get those, those people. people that I've always yeah. wanted to talk to. Yeah, Who's yeah, somebody yeah. that fits that for you? Who's somebody that you were like, I don't know. If Yo, Yo, Ma. Yo, Yo, Ma. Yeah, he's he's like he's like uh he's like the Mount Everest for me. Like I need to get him on yeah. the podcast. I want to hear because what he does with his art is he gives it to people with no expectation and the people who need it the most. He, he, he goes to, he went to the, the, uh, the border where uh, a lot of our, uh, uh, immigrants are interned and, and people who are trying to get into the country are interned and, and treated badly. And he played, played for them. He plays in prisons, you know, he, he just shares it wherever he is, the truest embodiment of artists as a citizen, which is what uh, 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 Dr. Polisi, the former president of Juilliard, was always talking about. So, yeah, Yo-Yo yeah, Ma for right. sure. And then maybe I would say for this podcast, somebody that I think you, you guys – I would really love to hear you guys talk to is um, like Sinyun Huang. My, uh, my one of my teachers from Juilliard, because uh, so many of our teachers, uh, they don't, they don't, they've never been on podcasts. Heidi Castleman never been on podcasts. You know what I'm saying? And I think their gems of wisdom, and 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 maybe conversations akin to this, um, and wondering how they are seeing the ecosystem changing under their under their feet, would be a really interesting perspective to have as well. I love that. We are we have one or two professors coming on in some future episodes. We're very excited. Um, I feel like it's cool. always a little bit challenging to get professors to agree because I know they have to be able to recruit. They have a job that they need to keep. So <laughs> how honest can we really be? <laughs> you can be honest and they can defend it if it has merit, right. but that's really interesting that they're silent. Like if I were a professor, I'd be trying to go on every podcast and be like, look, yeah, but if you join my my studio, I'll also let you borrow my books. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll mentor you on how to get your career going, homie. Like it's not just about playing. Yeah. You know, but I think it's just that some of these uh, you know, some of these conversations are super uncomfortable. No one really wants to talk about how ninety eight percent of the folks graduating from conservatories will be freelancers. Actually probably ninety nine point I was like, that's low. Like there's like a 0.02% of folks who will probably have a performance career that everybody in the world would acknowledge as being successful, like a Hillary Hahn type career, having a full-time orchestral job, which I don't, I mean, if you love that, that's your jam, more power to that's you. That's like a 1% thing. success rate. That's right. So considering that most of us are going to be freelancing, no, but no one really wants to talk about it. So yeah, yeah. maybe the people in those positions have a hard time having that conversation. Cause it was different. Yeah. And yeah. I think it was different for them. There were jobs. Yeah. There were yeah. jobs. That's why we need professor Drew. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> Hire me. I need a 401k please. <laughs> Healthcare. <laughs> all right and one more for you drew because we i think we got your book list already um what are you uh what are you listening to right now 
get a get a music recommendation. Something that people should check out. Yeah. Oh, music. Okay, I was I mostly listen to podcasts like Bigger Pockets and Freakonomics and and all these other economics of business real estate podcast but what i listen to musically there's this like there's this rapper named west side boogie and he just came out with a song called outside featuring joey badass and it's just a good old-fashioned braggadocio swaggy hip-hop lyricism that i'm about i'm about that old school boom bat battle rap style with good flow so that's that's my thing the mind right uh, playlist on Spotify is one of my favorites. Yes. I there love that. It. There you have it. Yeah, well, Drew, tell people if they don't know you already, because let's be real, who's listening to this podcast that mm-hmm. doesn't follow Drew on Instagram already? Probably everybody. Plenty. We can find you. Podcast. Um, anything else you yeah, say? man. You uh, please check out my podcast. It's called Faking News Podcast. It's on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. And we have more conversations like this with wonderful guests like John and and Grace, where we talk about the path of artist entrepreneurship. And we feature people from all walks of life, CEOs of successful uh, violin apps. We have uh, digital web designers, copywriters. We have uh, artists, independent artists, YouTubers like Bad Snacks and, and, and Who is D Sharp? And cryptocurrency experts like my most recent guest and really good friend, Brian Lee. So we really try to hone in and fill in the gaps uh, that school leaves us, you know, things that we wish we would have known that would have maybe helped us be a little bit better investing, uh, knowing where to put our money, how to save. These are things that we talk about on the podcast. So, uh, and we also tell lots of musical related jokes. So if you're into that, check out Faking Notes podcast. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube at that Viola kid. Please DM me. Let me know what you think. And uh, let's have let's continue this conversation. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Drew. Uh, I think you have provided so much insight today. Go and check out all those resources Drew mentioned because I think that his podcast is is probably the best that I've found in this space. Yes, absolutely incredible. So, go follow Faking Notes podcast on Spotify. Subscribe to them on Apple Podcast. Whatever your favorite streaming platform is, go find them. And if you don't do this already, follow at that Viola Kid on all those social platforms. You know where to find them. This concludes today's session of musical therapy. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time with a brand new guest.